Hey everybody, welcome back to the podcast. And today I'm very, very lucky to have Sanjoy Roy, who is the founder and managing director of Teamwork Arts. And now Sanjoy is a bit different to some of the people I've had on the podcast before, because in the previous episodes, it's been a lot about technology and specifically technological advancements in the areas of AI, ML, you know, to create sustainability, to create next-gen businesses. But in today's world where creativity is really going to be what separates us as we move into this technological revolution, I'm very, very lucky to be speaking to Sanjay Roy, who's really leading this with his company, Teamwork Arts. And they're really fostering creativity with events all over the world, ranging from music, literature, theater, and so much more. So Sanjoy, sorry for that long introduction. How are you? I'm good, and thanks for having me online. Of course, I'm, I'm very excited for this podcast because like I said, it's, it's exploring a new area of creativity. And I really want to ask you by starting off, um, what's your background? You know, where did you grow up? How did this end up leading you towards starting Teamwork Arts? Well, I've always been in uh, in theater. So even in school and university, that was pretty much my passion, the arts. And uh, mm-hmm. I mostly I, I mostly studied between the UK and Bombay. And then I completed my education in Delhi at the university. And then I've stayed on here. And while I was in university, I set up a a theater group. And uh, post that, I joined a theater group called Theater Action Group, which was sort of Delhi's uh, most premier English theater company, uh, where its artistic director was Barry John. And then I started running. I became its executive director uh, in the early 80s. And uh, and thereafter, the idea was, you know, how do we ensure that our colleagues in theater find adequate employment uh, to allow them to continue theater? And it was in theater that I met my wife. And uh, when we were to get married, my father-in-law asked me, so young man, what do you do? And I said, I do theater. So he said, uh, no, no, what's your, what's your day job? So I said, no, no, my day job is theater. And <laughs> As we got closer to the wedding, he was like, so how are you going to support my daughter? And I was like, uh, well, I thought she was going to support me because she runs, you know, she was the management of a big company. And yeah. that, that didn't amuse him at all. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, as you can imagine. <clears throat> and at that point of time, television in India had just opened up. And mm-hmm. um, uh, our national carrier, Doodarshan, had just started putting out uh, shows for private producers, etc., and a couple of them had kept, you know, there was no television professionals per se. So people used to come to theater to look for talent. And Bobby mm-hmm. Baby, who went on to make Bandit Queen and The Rising, etc., had come to me a couple of times saying, will you please join me and direct the series? And I'd said, no way, this is electronic media and I'm theater and, mm-hmm. you know, all of that kind of philosophical stuff. Mm-hmm. But as the wedding approached, my father-in-law was like, you better get a job, young man. That's, you know, that's the job job. So I joined Bobby, worked for a couple of years with him. And then uh, uh, Mohit Satyanand, uh, who I met, who was also part of our theater company, was in business. So he and I then branched out and set up what 
now is uh, teamwork. It used to be teamwork films. We, uh, through the late 80s and into the early 90s till 1995, that's all we did, television and film. And uh, because television had just opened up in India, uh, we were one of the first movers and there was no concept of a season. So if your show was successful, and it had good TRPs, it ran forever, every day or every week, week after week, month after month, uh, you know, year after year. And by 1995 odd, I think we had about 14 daily or weekly soap operas, game shows, food shows, satire shows, news programs uh, running. And we were somewhat like a factory. And it was on one very fateful Saturday afternoon. We used to have something called Sam Saturday afternoon meetings where we used to meet all our and director colleagues to check who had to be written out in the next episode or what was the focus in the next episode. And two of our colleagues, Shurupa Datta and Manika, came into the room and said, listen, we cannot do this. And I'm like, why? And they said, we are brain dead. We don't have a life. We, you know, we finish shooting at whatever, 10 o'clock at night. We get home at 1. We wake up at 6. We leave at 7. And day after day, week after week, and you know, television is unforgiving. It doesn't, it doesn't believe that anybody should have a personal life. So, in a moment of weakness, uh, uh, I said, "Okay, if we don't want to do this, let's uh, let's stop doing television." Which was easier said than done, because when we went out to the uh, television companies and said this was what the situation is. Uh, they were like, no way can you stop these shows. And, you know, they threatened us with all sorts of dire consequences. And it took us about six months to wind down and we nearly went bankrupt. But as it happened in 1995 as well, Mohit and uh, Kanika and uh, his sister, uh, his sister Kanika and another friend of ours, Val, a musician, had set up something called Friends of Music. And Friends of Music was supposed to be a platform for uh, new music, meaning not Bollywood, not uh, rock, but something in between. And that became very popular. It became a platform from which all of the sort of great uh, innovative music groups have grown, Indian Ocean and Rikya and Silk Root and Parikrama. It gave them all a platform. And so we did the same thing in theater. We, we commissioned new writing in theater. At that point of time, a lot of English theater was ripoffs of off West End and off Broadway. Uh, so we commissioned new writing in theater and we did the same in dance. We went out to a lot of the great classical performers like Aditi Mangaldas and Daksha Shet and Astad Debu and said, do stuff that, you know, is outside of your comfort zone. Let it be collaborative. And they then also created work and we realized we had all of this content, but not enough platforms to showcase the content on. And meanwhile, in 1996, my wife had had an accident in Goa, we were holidaying, and because of the accident, I had, hadn't cut my hair for a bit. And our eldest son one day came to me and said, uh, are you planning to grow your hair? So I said, why? So he said, if you grow your hair, you can't come to my school. So I'm going, yes! No, <laughs> no more parent-teacher day and no more you know, sports day and annual day and all of the stuff yeah. where, where the teachers then tell you as a parent how dismal you are. So I grew <laughs> my hair, and my hair has always been perhaps more silver than, than, than black. And um, a lot of people used to think that, you know, I ticked their box, especially in the UK. So I spoke their language. I looked creative. I sounded like I knew something. So I used to go out and lecture across the UK in 
universities and other places and also taught arts management and that led to creating a a network which then led to us setting up our first platform uh, for work from india which was contemporary young uh, sexy innovative uh, excellent uh, at the edinburgh festivals and as you know the edinburgh festival is the world's biggest right. and once you get that kind of stamp you know the rest sort of follows and our first outing in edinburgh was very successful we presented across the many festivals that they were not just in one festival and that really was innovative for its time and thereafter we set up shop our first international uh, uh festival outside of that was in singapore a colleague of ours shweta had set up shop there uh, singapore had just invested 1.3 billion uh, singapore dollars into the arts economy in singapore mm-hmm. looking for people who could do uh who could create uh, and work with local communities there and that's where our first offices and our first festival outside edinburgh was and then we grew into australia new zealand and now hong kong singapore across across asia um egypt south africa turkey morocco uk uh europe usa canada and much of our belief primarily is that the arts can and does bring about change and uh, if there is one way we can do that is really through knowledge and through education and that's that's why we make at least our literature program in india uh, accessible to all kinds of people uh, free of cost and we use the arts then to try and see if we can push back on the narrative of fear and hatred which seems to surround us uh, today and we work in countries where there is inequity and uh, where there is where there has been conflict wow sanjoy thank you for that that there's so much to unpack there both from a business perspective to how you grew it um to the creativity portion and I really want to expand on that area because that's a section of my podcast that I haven't really met um with previous podcasts and I think people would be very interested in. And you mentioned that you know you want to spread the importance of creativity and the value that can have to society. Can you um can you kind of expand on that? How does it play such a huge role in society? How can it help people you know how can people grow businesses from it how can people make a living out of it uh, could you expand on that sure so so uh, you know as we all know you know in recent times especially in education you have the arts and then you have the sciences and we've mm-hmm. been saying for a long time that without the sciences you you can't really have the arts and without the arts uh, you can't divine science and you need both uh, to work together to be able to you know send man to the moon or create the best designs or build creativity into any process be it management or business because you need the reinvention or the reinventing and much of that happens is if your left and right brain both work well together and therefore the best nuclear scientists or scientists are also musicians or piano players etc because there is a correlation a shift between the two and more and more today uh, as one can see especially in you know when it comes to entrepreneurship or it's about 
uh, uh, creating disruption technology, you have to divine the other. And you can divine the other perhaps better if you look at something from different perspectives. Pretty, like, pretty much like the, the theatrical production, the film Rashomon, where you looked at the same truth from six different points of view or from six different perspectives. And none of them really, it was not that one perspective was lying and was, was untrue. It was just that six people had six different ways of viewing that one incident. And when you do that and you're able to see that, okay, these can coexist uh, in the same way that people can coexist, races can coexist, religions can coexist, uh, people can coexist, uh, um, nature can coexist. You then start looking at, okay, so what's the big issue of the fear factor that we're seeing today, where if refugees, for example, transit into countries which are comparatively safer, they're seen as a threat. Or minority status religions or people or people of color are seen mm -hmm. as a threat to dominant majority people. Because at the end of the day, if you look at humanity and human beings, if you're able to give everybody an equal playing field, you know, comparatively, uh, you can bring the best to bear. It's pretty much like when women were not included in the workplace, but today more and more there's an acceptance. So what is it that you're doing? You're saying that, you know, 49 or 50 or 51 percent of the population is now becoming productive and is a net net contributor to uh, the economy, whether it's working from home or working mm -hmm. at home or working in businesses or creating new value. And again, we know that each time there is a new input, uh, uh, you have necessarily a different output. And if you use or if you look at the arts and creativity as an input uh, and envisage the fact that you know, 2001 Space Odyssey was written and, and, and the writers divined the other, divined a future, which was then made possible through science and technology. You can then look at the contribution that we're doing. On the other hand, you look at George Orwell's 1984, which he then divined at one point of time, which has come to pass. And I've always said, writers and creators they write and create not necessarily only to entertain. They do so because they have a volition to do so. You know, if they don't do it, they will burst. And it's in that writing or creating, they sort of give us a perspective of the past, make sense of the present, and divine a future. And if you look at, if you look at technology and the way technology today has disrupted economies and created value, a disruptive value, uh, way more in multiples than say regular brick and mortar industry. This has come up with not necessarily linear thinking, but thinking in a creative strain, collaborating and working together. 
if you just look at the technology giants today, they buy and sell and collaborate with patents. So Apple will buy Samsung. Samsung will look at something from Microsoft. And while they all may be looking at different aspects, they've realized that coming together, you can create a better product without necessarily reinventing the wheel. So imagine a, imagine a creative platform which is accessible to everybody and the world uh, across which has been made democratically accessible through technology. And then each of these million or billions of people has an idea that rises up like a firefly in the night and illuminates us all collectively with that shining light. Wow. That's, you know, that, that kind of sounds like this last point that you made. It kind of sounds like the... Um, utilitarian perspective of what social media could be for us. You know, social media does connect us and it does collaborate us and it could be this, you know, breathing, breeding ground, which it is um, to amazing creativity. But sometimes, unfortunately, um, it, it doesn't go that way. But I, I really like that point. And I really like the point you made also on where science and creativity converge. And that's where we really get you know, the best of whatever projects we're trying to do, because I, I agree with you. And I feel one of the reasons our education right now in India could be improved is not really, you know, enabling kids to, you know, work that creative mindset. They're, they're only working the memorization mindset. Uh, so I, I really, you know, I really, really like that point. And I just want to go into one more um, aspect of what you talked about in you know, your introduction was it seems like you've always followed your, you know, whatever your thought was, you know, it, it didn't feel like, or whatever your passion was, it didn't feel like you had a set plan like you talked about. And so could you talk about, you know, following your passion as well, like, you know, and the importance of but, that but, in the long run? You know, Arman, when you have long hair, you have limited options. It's not that a bank <laughs> job. So, yeah, I mean, pretty much, uh, you know, I was pretty much clear from the beginning. I'll give you an example. You know, in university, uh, I, w I went to Delhi University, St. Stephen's College, where all my peers and my colleagues were, you know, everybody applied necessarily to the United States or to the UK to go and study in their third year. And so did I. And I, I, I got admission into Berkeley and USC and uh, uh, a, a program in, in Sweden. And, uh, but, you know, I was running a, a theater group and it, it never even occurred to me that this was a possibility. I mean, I, I'm sure if I'd taken it on, maybe, you know, life's trajectory would have been completely different and I would be, you know, doing different things. But I suspect that even then I would, my heart was, pretty much in the arts and, uh, you know, that's all I know how to do. And because the arts, you know, people, again, like I said, we tend to box everything. If you're in science, you're science. If you're in education, you're education. If you're in the arts, you're, you know, you're, you're that other person who is always out looking for some kind of money or grant or whatever. But my thing is that the arts allows you that perspective to have this, 360 degree view 
of the world. I mean, you know, my world is an intersection of science and technology and economics and politics and philosophy and music and theater. And, uh, you know, the high points is when you're sitting in a theater and I sit in theaters a lot and I see a lot of rubbish as well. But it's that time when the curtain opens and there's a sense of anticipation and then you see this incredible performance which gets your soul soaring and your heart singing. Or you see this wonderful invention or you, you know, we work a lot with museums in different parts of the world. These are institutions that, you know, when you have long hair, you get to go and do the blah, blah tour in terms of the next yeah. big years and stuff. Uh, but that's that's where you see the the sheer excitement of the other of, of divining something that brings together energy, creativity, uh, science, process. Process is super important. And again, when you're looking at process, sometimes we tend to dismiss process because it's not the end result. All of us continue to only look to the end result. But if you are creative in your process, and I don't mean uh, creative in the Trump way of uh, looking at taxes, uh, mm -hmm. but just <laughs> creative in the way that you, uh, 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 you know, relook at a process. And I remember, yeah. you know, six or seven years ago when we took in some investment and our investment guys sent in, uh, you know, business consultants to look at our processes. And every time he came back to me with a presentation, uh, I was like, I mean, I love learning. So I'm like always open to anybody who, who, you know, is up to teach me something. I, you know, I, I, I just love learning. And I was like, you know, we are not a company making yogurt and, you know, we're not a company doing cold chain process. But you're trying to put in processes that makes us that. Creativity is not standardized, and each person will look at it differently. I'll give you an example. You know, one of the hats that I wear is I help set up a, a trust called the Salam Balak Trust for street and working kids. And these are kids who run away from home or are in difficult circumstances. They come and live with us. Uh, we have about nine and a half thousand kids a year that lives in our centers in Delhi. And our primary program there, because these kids are pretty traumatized, is to use the arts. And today, so many of them, whether it's completing their scholarship engineering program in the United States or becoming aeronautical engineers, or Vicky Roy, who is one of the most sought after photographers, his work today sits in museums across the world, uh, etc. So you give these, give these people a platform to be able to achieve their optimum level of excellence. And you'll see that the world will be able to redefine itself and tackle some of the problems that we have. Even today, you know, we're setting up a new platform for innovation and technology. And much of what I'm seeing there is young people looking at simple solutions uh, to sort out some of the planet's more difficult problems. Wow, wow. And I uh, thank you for that. And I want to be cognizant of your time because I know you have to run somewhere else. So I, I want to ask you one other question that's been on my mind um, 
especially with education. Um, can anyone be creative? Are you born creative? Is it something that's fostered? Is it something that is innate in all of us? Or is it something that has to be taught? Um, you know, could you expand on that question? Because I think a lot of us struggle with it. In, in school, you're told you're good at drawing or you're not good at drawing. You're good at acting, you're good at singing or you're not. Could you expand on, you know, this point? Man, man is born creative. We spend the rest of the time either shutting it down or telling man not to do this or not to do that. Even as kids, it's always about, no, you can't do, no, you can't touch this, no, you can't touch that, you can't go here, you can't read this, you can't read that. Man has an innate ability of curiosity and to discover the other. If they didn't, we wouldn't be on the moon today. Everybody, the entire planet, seven billion of us have a DNA of creativity built into us. So when somebody says you can't paint, that's fine. Can you cook? If you can't, that's fine. Can you compute a new code? That's okay. Can you garden? Can you look at different ways to play with mud? Everybody is creative. Our education system worldwide tries to box you into, uh, you know, because you can paint and we can see it, it's an end product, you're creative. Your mind is working 24-7 and that is what needs to be harnessed. And if you're able to harness that at a young age and today more and more uh, 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 crashes and educational programs are trying to do that, you will see, uh, uh, I mean, especially the new generation, what, what, what they call is the indigo, indigo kids, anybody born after 1990 or 1995, they're all connected. They all have an innate sense of responsibility to the planet and to each other, uh, except that we go around screwing that up as adults and just saying that, no, you can't or no, you shouldn't or, you know, you're not capable or you're not good enough. And, you know, no two people will be as good or as bad as each other. Each will have their own individual strengths. And it is that that you have to figure out what is it that works for them. I'll give you an example. One of the kids who came to us was a kid, pretty much like a jungle book story. He had been brought brought up by animals in the jungle in Andhra Pradesh, in the south of India, didn't have any language except the language of birds and and and, and animals, etc. You know, the court system as it works, he finally landed up at Salambala Trust. And very, very very, very unhappy to be locked into, you know, these four walls. And But after a while, he started adjusting. And then at some point, you know, the tree outside his, his window, he tried to set fire to. And we realized that it, the reason he was doing that was that it was pulling him back to his intrinsic uh, relationship with nature. And he was, without language, he was one of the most creative, kids one has seen because he lived with nature. So he had an intrinsic natural knowledge. So finally, you know, working with the authorities, we returned him to a place pretty much close to nature where he could then continue his, his, uh, his intrinsic knowledge and use some of the other man-made devices that we have. Uh, so yeah, even the most unlettered, uh, 
folks who don't have any language uh, for themselves can really get ahead of themselves by just being allowed to be i think i think that's a very you know strong point on how it is innate in all of us um whether it be through technology or you know arts or in nature i think i i completely agree with that point and i think that's a great place to end up and sanjay i want to thank you so much for your time i really appreciate it i learned a lot from it many thanks arman happy to do this chat any other time that you want i'm sorry i'm having to run but best wishes and hope your podcast continue and you stick to doing what you think you wish to do and just follow your heart and the rest will follow thank you sanjoy talk to you soon yeah. talk soon you bye you too